So uh, our scripture reading uh, this morning is from the book of 1 Kings once again. 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, this is the story just after that amazing story of uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel where God confronts and defeats Baal in this contest. We looked at that last week with Mark. And uh, this week we're looking up uh, at the follow-up kind of um, event that happened right after that, beginning at verse 41 of 1 Kings chapter 18. Hear God's word. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And when he up, went up and looked, and he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. And he said, Go again, seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. This is the word of the Lord. So as I, I mentioned uh, just at the very beginning, we are uh, back in this uh, summer blockbuster series. Each summer what we like to do is we like to do what we call a, a summer blockbuster series where we take a, an amazing story from the Bible and we just go through it. And, and we, we enjoy scripture as divine literature. That is, these are, are stories that have something to teach us about God and about ourselves and about the world and about uh, 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 salvation. But they are also great stories. And we've been looking at the story of Elijah for the last number of weeks. Mark's been walking us through it. And just to remind you very quickly of the very grand storyline within which we find the story of Elijah. Remember, God rescues his people from Egypt to establish them as a distinctive people. A distinctive people whose whole lives will revolve around their relationship with God. And the purpose of that was so that... God could show uh, what he is like to the world and invite all nations into this covenantal, life-giving, saving relationship with their creator. Now, God established priests right at the beginning of that relationship to kind of administer this relationship and lead the people in this relationship. But as the Old Testament shows, the priests were terrible at it. They failed. They they. they bombed completely. And so God, beginning with King Saul, replaced the priesthood as the main way by which he would administer his relationship with his people uh, with kings. And the kings existed as shepherds, spiritual shepherds of God's people. They represented God to the people, but they also led God's people spiritually in their relationship with God. And for a while, they did a very, very good job, actually especially under King David, but huh, things started to slip. Near the end of his reign, Solomon took foreign women as wives, and
and adopted some of their gods as his own. And this began a pattern throughout the history of Israel that uh, got worse and worse and worse and decline continued and continued and continued. So by the time we get to King Ahab, where we are right now, the nation of Israel is in complete spiritual shambles. He is the worst king that they have experienced so far. And he actually brings Baal worship, a Canaanite god, a god of the sun, a god of fertility, a god of uh, the storm. He introduces this god through his wife Jezebel uh, to um, the people of Israel, and they begin to worship this god Baal alongside Yahweh, and in some ways actually in replacing the true god Yahweh. And I think Mark said this uh, last week. He said, um, as the king goes, so goes the nation. Well, by the time Ahab is king, uh, he's ignoring, and the people of God are ignoring God's word. They have forgotten God's word. They have uh, completely turned their back on God's word. And yet, God refuses, he absolutely refuses to give up on them because they're his people. After 150 years of steady decline, to the point, by, I might add, like, in case you're thinking, well, how bad was it? They are now at the point where God's covenant people are practicing child sacrifice. After 150 years of decline, where they get to that point where they're practicing God, child sacrifice, nevertheless, God refuses to give up on them. And so what he does is, is he sees that the kingship is bankrupt, and so he sends prophets. And the prophets were there to turn the king and to turn God's people. Because remember, so goes the, as goes the king, so goes the people. So to turn the king and therefore God's people back to God, to call them to repentance, right? To say, look, wake up. Wake up. You are ruining yourselves by your rebellion against God, and you are inviting his judgment upon you. Do you not understand that God loves you with, a, with a, an intensity, like, like, a, like a husband loves his wife, and he has made vows to you the way a husband makes vows to his wife, and you are cheating on him. You're cheating on your spiritual spouse, your God, and he cannot just sit back and watch you destroy yourselves. That's what these uh, prophets are there to do. And the first of these prophets is Elijah. Now, what a character, right? What a fascinating character. He's, he's almost like Batman because he just kind of shows up out of nowhere, seemingly. In, in chapter 17, verse 1, this mysterious figure, Elijah, shows up and says to Ahab, he says, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. How's that for a hello, how are you? Let's make some introductions. Hi. I stand before the Lord, and this land will not see rain again until I say so. That's what he says. And what he means by that, of course, is that God is going to withhold rain from the land as judgment for their rebellion against him. Because you see, in the Bible, rain most often is symbolic of God's covenant blessing on his people. And there will be no blessing now because they have fallen into this worship of these idols 
until they repent, until they return to him, there will be no dew, there will be no rain, there will be no water from the sky. Now remember, Elijah says this because God refuses to give up on his people. In fact, the whole story of Elijah and his interaction with King Ahab and God's people is meant to demonstrate that. That's the grand theme of this series because you see the God of the Bible is a God of grace. He is not tyrannical. He is not capricious. He is not constantly angry and looking to judge. No, God is slow to anger and compassionate and gracious. And our text this morning that we just read may very well be the most powerful and beautiful illustration of that in the entire Elijah story. And I get the privilege of preaching on this passage with you. This is all I want to do with you this morning. Very simple. Is I just want to unpack for you the kindness and the patience and the compassion of God in this passage. And then just remind you why it's so important for us to remember that in the here and now, in the today, okay? That's what we're gonna do, so let's have a look at this. And remember, as Mark showed us last week, God has just beaten Baal in this epic contest on Mount Carmel. Now think about this. Both Jesus and the Apostle James in the New Testament refer to this period of time, and they say, that drought came upon the nation of Israel during this time for three and a half years. There was no rain, no water from the sky for three and a half years. Now, when Elijah first tells Ahab that that's what's going to happen back in chapter 17, I'm sure Ahab was like, sure, yeah, no rain till you say so, okay. And maybe he didn't even believe him for the first while because... Um, in that part of the world, you have rainy seasons and you have dry seasons. So you have six months of rainy season and six months of dry season. So maybe they were in the dry season when Elijah made this curse or brought this prophecy on, on, uh, uh, to, to Ahab. And in any case, the rainy season comes around and there's no rain. And perhaps by this time, the, the, the news has spread through the nation of Israel because nobody could tweet it back then. Um, that Elijah had brought this curse on Israel. So the people are wondering, well, how come there hasn't been rain? Oh, well, didn't you hear that Elijah, the prophet, had come and told Ahab that there would be no rain because of our Baal worship? Now, more time elapses. Now it's, you know, a year and a half, no rain. Two years. Two years, no rain. You know, it's, Teresa Tam said we may be wearing masks for two years. Two years, no rain. And then another year passes, no rain. What do the people do? What does Ahab do? Think about what this drought has done. It has caused tremendous economic devastation to, to the people. There are people who are starving to death because there is no food, because this long drought has existed and has destroyed the food supply. I was a kid during the, the terrible Ethiopian famine 
of uh, the mid-1980s, it was two years long, between 83 and 85, I remember seeing pictures of it and, and seeing the, what, how dry the land was. Like, like the land had just these huge cracks in the ground because it was so parched. And people were emaciated because they were so hungry. And, and, and imagine for three years living under the oppressiveness of the heat and the dryness. Think of the dust. Just the accumulation of dust when there is no water or humidity at all. The kind of dust that the people must have lived under. They, they probably never felt clean. You couldn't afford to use water for bathing. You try to clean your house and you just try to sweep the dust out of your hut and the slightest breeze just brought it back in. You had this taste of dirt in your mouth all the time and you lived in a constant state of thirst. That's probably what it was like. Three long years. And what do they do? Do they repent? No. They double down on their worship of Baal. Now, I said it earlier, but let me just make it very clear. Baal is the god of the storm. He is supposed to supply his worshipers with water. I mean, one of the reasons that God chose drought, scholars say, is to actually uh, uh, stick it directly to this God of Baal, to show that he is not supreme, but that God is. And here they are, living under this drought, and do they turn away from Baal? No, they double down on their worship with him. Jezebel has 450 prophets of Baal on retainer in the palace, ready to go at a moment's notice. How stubborn, how stupid, how stiff-necked, how hard-hearted do you have to be? And yet, even with all their devotion to Baal, there's no ring. There's no ring. Baal is not coming through. And we get to chapter 18, verse 1, and it says, The Lord came to Elijah, saying, Go. Show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. You see, God says, okay, enough is enough. I've been punishing them enough. Go, I'm going to bring rain to the land. And Elijah, he goes to Ahab. And does Ahab, he hear that and say, oh, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Oh, how kind of God to, to do this. No, when he sees Elijah, he says, what are you doing here, troubler of Israel? In other words, this is your fault. And the people, when they see Elijah, do they, uh, do they repent and fall on their knees and say, we've learned a terrible, we've learned a lesson, it's been very hard, but we understand. No, they're waffling. In verse 21 of chapter 18, it says this. So this is Elijah talking to people. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. They didn't say a thing. And it's not until God smokes Baal in this contest and rains down fire on this altar and burns it up completely do we get to verse 39, where it says, And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Now, are they truly sorry? Are they truly repentant? Maybe. 
Or maybe they're just scared out of their tree. And Ahab, he doesn't say anything. He's silent through this whole thing. And yet, and yet, he doesn't come and repent. He doesn't come and say, I've been a fool. Please forgive me. Intercede on my behalf, Elijah. None of that. And yet, Elijah, when it's over, Elijah says to Ahab, hey, go up, eat and drink. I hear rain coming. And while Ahab goes and eats, it's been a long day, I'm sure. It's probably been a long day for Elijah too. But while Ahab goes and eats and anticipates the coming of rain, Elijah falls on his face with his hands between, or his head between his legs. He's, he's bent over in abject prostration before God, and he prays hard. God, be merciful to them. God, be gracious to you. Give them what they don't deserve. They don't deserve it. And God kind of makes him work for it. One of the things scholars notice is, you know, when he prays for fire, boom! <laughs> One prayer, boom, there it is. When he prays for rain, he has to pray seven times. Elijah persists. He doesn't give up. He's committed to the promise that God made, and so he does not stop until he sees, even if it's a cloud the size of a man's hand or a man's fist. But it just shows the graciousness of God because God answers that prayer, and what happens? It rains, baby. It rains. Now, what must that have been like? The party. The party. People would have been literally dancing in the rain. They would have had their arms stretched out, I'm sure of it, and their, their faces pointed up to the sky, and their mouths wide open as they just drank in this rain. Think about this. There were kids who had never experienced rain ever before in their lives. And if all that drought had existed for all that time, they would have had dirt just caked on them and they could have just stood there and basked in the rain of God as it showered down upon them and it would have cleansed them and it would have cleansed their streets and cleansed their village and cleansed their land. You know, cleansing rain. You know, when it's hot and humid and sticky and then we get a rush of wind clouds roll through and the rain falls and then everything is fresh and new afterwards. Remember I said earlier in the scriptures, rain is symbolic of the blessing of God and God brings covenant blessing to his people. He's restoring his relationship with them and he's inviting them to renew their commitment to him. Even Ahab, the treacherous shepherd who had turned his back on God and had embraced full bore the, the heathen gods of his wife. You know, Elijah wins this contest with Ahab, but he doesn't gloat over it at all. Instead, he shows, he shows compassion. He shows compassion to Ahab. Tells him to go and eat. Why? He's trying to bring him to repentance. And then when, when, the, when the rain is about to come, he says, Ahab, you better get going, man, because the rain's coming. 
And when Ahab goes off to Jezreel, it says that God strengthened Elijah for the ability to run ahead of his chariot. Well, what's that about? It meant that God was not rejecting his anointed king. He sent the prophet as a herald and as a servant of the king, ahead of the king, to announce his return to Jezreel. He recognized, he continued to recognize the honor and the authority of God's anointed king. It's amazing. God still seeks Ahab, even though he has not yet repented. It's just an amazing picture, friends, of of how gracious God is with stiff-necked, obstinate, hard-headed, rebellious, frustratingly stupid people. He refuses to give up on his people. Now, very easy for me to make a personal application here. I, I hope that, that you can see it coming a mile away. If you're God's people, if you're one of his people, he refuses to give up on you. When you're stiff-necked and rebellious, obstinate, stupid, he just keeps reaching out to you in grace. But I actually want to, I want to go on a, a little broader scale in terms of application. You know, our culture, our culture for the last number of years has really been working hard at turning its back on God and his word. And our culture is based on Judeo-Christian principles. It, it, it is virtually undeniable. Um, the most recent uh, work on that is a book by Tom Holland called um, Dominion. And basically what he argues is, look, all the great things about our culture are because of Christianity. And we're doing everything we can to get rid of Christianity and turn our back on it and deconstruct it and dismantle it. And we're going to destroy ourselves if we do that. You know, that's actually one of the things that Jordan Peterson, for example, tries to argue as well. And you might say to yourself, ah, come on, you know, every generation says that, every old guy like you, Preacher Paul, says that, you know, the previous generation was better and things are getting worse and all that kind of stuff. But I'm not talking about just tech things getting worse. Like, yes, we're, we're living longer and technology has, has helped in all kinds of ways and medical breakthroughs are, are expanding, etc. But listen, there's a new song out by Cardi B, who I don't really know anything about. It came out last week jumped to number one on Apple Music and on Spotify. And it was, it was reviewed by a music reviewer uh, at NBC as deliciously filthy. And that's precisely what it is. I'm not encouraging any of you to seek it out or listen to it, but I'm using it as an example because I don't know, if in, I don't know how it would have been possible 40 years ago or 50 years ago for a song like that to reach number one on the charts. It's absolutely disgusting. And just last week, I was reading a news story that says that the Netherlands, who only 20 years ago uh, introduced uh, euthanasia laws in their country, and everybody said, you know, this is a dangerous, slippery slope, and, and 
people said, no, 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 the Dying with Dignity movement is extremely important and we're going to be really careful with it. Just last week, in the nation of the Netherlands, a bill was introduced that said that, that wants to allow anybody the age of 75 or older to be able to petition and request an assisted death, regardless of the reason. They don't have to be in excruciating pain. They don't have to be uh, having a terminal illness and nearing death. They can just say, I have a death wish. And you know, in this culture, Western culture, when we face things like this COVID pandemic, people say to Christians, you know, where's your God now? You're praying to him now. How is he helping you now? Why isn't he doing something? He's obviously not there, or he doesn't care, or he can't do anything about it. But this story shows, friends, that perhaps when we look at COVID, what we should be saying is maybe God is present in the crisis. That in the pandemic, in the trial, he is calling us to repentance. In other words, COVID is is evidence not of God's abandonment, but of God's faithfulness. And we would do well to listen to what he's telling us. Because he won't give up on his people. Let me just close with this. You know, this is an amazing story of God's commitment to his people. This story of Elijah and his dogged determination to bless them in spite of themselves. You know, uh, even when they don't deserve it. But, but this story, as remarkable as it is, it really is only pointing to an even greater story, an even more remarkable story of God's faithfulness to those who were unfaithful. Because you see, at Mount Carmel, in the third year, God sent rain to renew the land. But centuries later, on the third day, God would resurrect his son, who died on the cross for our sin in order to resurrect the world to new life. See, the rain cleansed the land of filth and dust and, and the filth of idolatry even because those priests that were slaughtered were in the valley of Kidron or Kishon or, sorry, I'm screwing that up, but they're in the valley and the water comes rushing in and they get washed away. But in the resurrection of Jesus on the third day Christ was raised from the dead to renew the world and when this Jesus ascended to heaven God sent the Holy Spirit like, like rain as a shower on his people to wash us clean and to give us new life and to give us new hope and relationship with him Titus 3 verses 3 to 6 says this for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, listen to it, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of 
the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer this morning, take comfort in knowing that this is what God has done for you. And he will never give up on you because he is bound and determined to bless you. Not just here and now, but in life eternal. And if you're not a believer, and you're wondering where is God in this COVID world, I want you to think about maybe God is using COVID to speak to you, to get your attention. He's using this hardship as a megaphone, as C.S. Lewis put it, to draw you to repentance and faith. Not because he wants to destroy you, because he wants to save you. He is gracious and a compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for how you were so gracious to your people centuries ago and you continue to be gracious. I pray, Lord, that you would enable us to respond in repentance and faith to your grace, to see it on display around us everywhere we turn. And to respond and put our trust in Jesus and to find hope in your refusal to give up on us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.